Hey everybody, how you doing? You know, I I love preaching to you guys. I love you guys so much. And it's just such a joy to be able to do this. And not just because I'm an asthmatic and there's been smoke in the air and I get to talk with a ma- without a mask on right now. Um, but, but more than that is we have such a beautiful, beautiful passage this morning. I, I got jealous of Matt b- preaching out of Ephesians last few weeks, which is just a glorious book. Um, I think uh, you might remember the last time I taught out of Ephesians, I just read the whole thing. It just needed to be done. It's so good. And Matt did a great job um, talking us through the armor of God, um, but he also did a great job of filling in the background of Ephesians. So I don't feel like I need to cover ground already. Um, well, covered. Uh, but before we do that, let's let's pray. Lord, Father, God, thank you so much for this chance to gather in your name, to open up your word, to sing your praises, God, to uh, to be together, to enjoy creation and this beautiful day that you have made and a day that you have made and given us uh, breath in our lungs so we can praise you, God. We can turn everything we've got back to you. So the beautiful weather, the soft grass, we're using it to worship you, Father God, which is what you intended with it all to bring you glory. So I pray, Father God, as we open up your word and read about your priorities, that you will change our hearts and change the way we live even tomorrow, that we will have a um, a more you-glorifying priority in our hearts. We love you, God, and we need your help in this. Open our eyes and our hearts to understand what you would have for us. Amen. So, uh, weird times, right? Are you guys kind of sick of hearing that or saying it? Weird times? It's been weird times all year, right? Um, but really tense times too, um, foreboding times. Uh, I read an article recently by a pastor named Eugene Park, and in it he said this, and I'm sure you'll feel what he feels, at least in part. He said it's been, uh, and these are just excerpts from the article, um, but he says it's been painful to see the church in America follow the national discourse. In my social media feeds, I've witnessed church members tear each other apart over politics forgetting that we are committing spiritual cannibalism as we choose partisanship over unity in Christ. Political discourse today, even in the church, is characterized by the brash confidence each tribe or ideology brandishes. It's the certainty that my political views are correct and can be supported in scripture, often with some exegetical gymnastics, and yours are heretical and blasphemous. Even in the church, the warning of the former New York Times op-ed editor Barry Weiss rings true in 2020, truth is no longer a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job it is to inform everyone else. As each camp believes its viewpoint is foolproof, perceptions of and accusations toward the other side become increasingly brazen, graceless, and prone to nuance-free caricature. For some on the right, any pastor who speaks about social justice is immediately labeled a Marxist. For some on the left, the slightest defense of President Trump or even just holding a baby of a different ethnicity exposes your white supremacy. How did we get here? How did we get here? How did it come to be that many Christians seem more confident and outspoken about their political ideology than the Christian gospel? Why do many Christians seem more at home in the family of their political tribe than in the family of God? And I'm sure you feel it's a problem. The word of God says it's a problem. I feel it's a problem. And it's absolutely a problem. Now, I bet, I bet everybody got a little bit tense when some of those words came up, right? Didn't you? Didn't you get a little tense? You got a little edgy, like, okay, where's he going with this? What's he going to say next? Like, how much am I going to want to leave now? But we're not going to talk about politics. 
That's distracting. That's a distracting issue from the reason we're here. Not just here, church gathered on the Lord's day to hear the word, but that's why, I mean, it's, it's a distraction from why we're here, why we're here on earth. All that stuff is just a distraction. We've got a goal. We've got a goal. We've got a mission. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says this, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I love the therefores in scripture. They, ha- they help you just put things in their right places. So the first half of Ephesians is doctrinal. It's teaching. It's didactic about the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ, uh, wherein grace and faith are gifts to us where we learn that God reaches down into death through Jesus Christ and pulls us to life. Like John 6, 44 says, no one comes to the Father unless he is drawn, right? It is by faith, not works, even works done in righteousness, like Titus 3, 5 says, that doesn't cut it. It's the work of God acting upon dead bones to bring them back to life. And, And how much glory that gives the Lord, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Romans 8, tells us this beautiful chain, this connection of the solidity we have in the gospel, the firm foundation we've got, the assurance we have that those whom he foreknew, he called, those he called, he predestined, those he predestined, he justified, those he justified, he he glorified. It's accomplished work. Beautiful, absolutely beautiful, unbroken, that from the moment we believe, we are kept in him, secure. In him, we are given every spiritual blessing, even the most immature new believer has been given every spiritual blessing and the spirit without measure. And it's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And so therefore, after this treatise on right doctrine, which he wasn't writing them to correct something, he was writing them just because he loved them. And so what do you write to someone you love who's a fellow believer? You write about the glories of God. What is more important? What is more uplifting? What is more fun, really, than to talk with another believer about how cool God is? And he goes on to to instruct them. And the first thing he talks about it after this doctrine is unity, is unity. We are irrevocably united with Christ. And uh, like I just talked about, irrevocably united with Christ and to other believers at the moment of salvation because we're brought from the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of light. We are transplanted from being dead and alone in our sins to then being made alive and part of the body of Christ. Singular, singular body of Christ. We are, we are a, a, a church. We are CCF, um, but we are also the church, the body of Christ. Um, each have our own jobs. We all look different. Um, we function differently. And that's really important to know uh, how much diversity there is in the body of Christ. And not just in form and how we look and how uh, we think, but in function, meaning that we all have different gifts that are useful for the building up the bo- of the body until we all attain 
to the stature that belongs to Christ, who is the head. See, Jesus deserves a strong body. At least I think so. Otherwise, you get one of those like orange on a toothpick situations. Um, <clears throat> Tim Challies wrote, uh, it is God's desire that there be unity between his people. And for that reason, Christian unity is a prominent theme in the New Testament. Jesus prays for it in the high priestly prayer. Luke describes it in his history of the early church. Paul demands it of the congregations he writes to. P Peter appeals for it in his epistles. And John displays it in its final perfection in his vision of what is to come. As we each live out the gospel and display the fruit of the Spirit in Christian community, unity, unity should naturally result. Uh, now, before we get into too much of the, the depth of this, I want to take things a little bit out of order. Uh, so we're not going to go in the outline the verses gave. We're going to go in a more, at least what I felt was a logical order, because I want to end with communion, that declaration of unity at the foot, at the foot of the cross, the table. Uh, but I want to start with what is the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace? What is that? Let's start with that. Uh, and sometimes it helps to work backwards. So let's talk first about what breaks unity. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. You can't do that. You can't ever break the true, the invisible unity. You can't break that. Just like if we had to, uh, if, if we had to discipline a member who was unrepentant, we would, uh, at, at a certain point, if they remained unrepentant, we would ask them to, to separate from us. Uh, for the purity of the church, we would give them to the Lord. That would, that would break the visible unity. Um, so we're not talking about losing salvation. We're talking about uh, the physical working out of our lives. And this is the unity that we, we need to pursue. Like he says, I implore you, um, leading up to uh, <clears throat> verse 3, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If the unity is provided at salvation, then why do we need to maintain it? We don't need to maintain our salvation, but we do need to work it out with fear and trembling, don't we? We do need to pursue Christ and pick up our cross. We do need, we do have marks of obedience, don't we? Same with unity. We have this permanent invisible unity, but there are things that we can do that break our visible unity, that break our, our unity, our ability, ability to worship together. And one of those things, like I mentioned, was uh, unrepentant sin or a carnal lifestyle. And the word of God says in 1 Corinthians 5, not even to eat with one like that. So obviously we, we try to correct them with gentleness, according to Galatians 6. We give them chance after chance. We bring other people along, hands on the rope connected to the, the, the life ring that we've tossed to a struggling believer. We get more people on it in order to help save that person, rescue them from their dangerous pattern. But if they remain unrepentant, we separate from them because bad company corrupts. It absolutely does. And for the sake of the health and the purity of the church, we separate them. 1 Corinthians 5.11, but I'm now writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual, sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Another thing that breaks the unity is uh, um, abandoning sound doctrine. Um, you know, when we think of doctrine, we can put it into categories. Um, I think it's Legan Duncan that said, uh, he called it spiritual triage or doctrinal triage, where you put things in their order. So anything that is required to believe for salvation is a primary, a first order thing. And then below that are the things that um, 
are, are really, really, really important, but, but, but don't prevent or enable salvation, right? They're not the things you have to believe in order to be saved, but they are really important. And at this level, it's kind of what separates denominations. Uh, think about it that way. It's the thing that separates denominations. And then we get the third order of things like eschatology, about the timeline of revelation and things like that, that, you know, I, I bet we could find a dozen different opinions about the timeline of revelation sitting here on this lawn, but yet we can still worship God together, right? Because we have that common first order of doctrine. And then in a lot of ways, second order of doctrine stuff together as well. But if someone abandons those primary things, or if they elevate a second or a tertiary level thing to an essential, they are going to draw a line where the Bible never draws. They're going to be divisive where they don't need to be divisive. If we elevate these non-essentials to the point of an essential, we are, we are really saying that you need Jesus and. You need Jesus and. Galatians were adding circumcision to their faith. They said you need Jesus and circumcision. And Paul was saying, don't even go there. Because if you get circumcised for your salvation, Christ is of no use to you. So when we add these things, Paul uh, writes to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy 6.11, but as for you, man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. We are to flee those hanging on to bad doctrine. And again, in the primary things, in the primary, the essentials of the gospel, if anyone is adding or taking away from the gospel, they are dangerous and to be fled. Or if you have a position to help them, obviously correct them. That's good too. But this is something that can break unity. And divisive behavior, an easy way to destroy unity Again, by elevating second, third, fourth level stuff to primary issues. And that categorizes those who disagree as non-Christian. Uh, but then also stirring up arguments, causing fights. Uh, Titus 3.9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Now, all this is bummer stuff. This is real bummer stuff, but it paints a picture of what our unity is really about, doesn't it? Don't you see it? It is proper doctrine of the gospel. It is being eager to maintain that unity and, and not starting fights about letting these second, third, fourth degree issues kind of go hanging on tightly to what the word of God is clear about and then relaxing a bit with others, trusting the Lord. And we'll get into more of that later. But we also see then there's obedience to Christ. So love and obedience to Christ is essential because without that obedience, can you really say they love Christ? When Christ said himself in John 14, if you love me, you will keep, you will follow my commandments. If you love me, you'll obey me. We can see these three things really are the basis for our unity in Christ. Belief in the true gospel, obedience, of, uh, obedience to Christ, and then also loving and preferring each other. The unity of the spirit and the bond of peace is a right relationship with Jesus and his body and walking in the spirit. It's abiding in Christ. It's serving the Lord as a bond servant, seeking to glorify God by loving and obeying his son. Unity in the church starts with the individual, and just like marriage, 
the husband and the wife both are seeking to glorify, if the, if the husband and wife are both seeking to glorify God first and most and best, they're naturally going to be drawn together. Their na- unity in that marriage is going to flourish because God wants it to. God, God has a special plan for marriage as a picture of Christ in the church, a picture of the gospel. And the church is also supposed to be a picture of the gospel. We are the gospel made visible. We are lights in the darkness. We are salt. We are supposed to stand out. It is supposed to be visible, just like a marriage. And when those two people are chasing after the Lord, they will be drawn together. They will delight in the mutual benefit and service of a life dedicated to the Lord. If two people are seeking the truth, in a conversation, then disagreements won't derail them. It will spur them on. We're talking about trajectory, a trend, a pattern, an underlying thread, a foundation of love, a shared purpose of calling. This is the unity we have in him. Colossians 3.14 says, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So it's not just uh, unity in the spirit, It's that bond of peace, that love, which is the perfect bond of peace. And that's first and primary. And from the love comes all other things. In fact, Paul wrote in Romans 13 that love fulfills the law because love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, if you love, you will fulfill the rest of God's moral law. If you love like God loves, you will follow the rest. That's the pinnacle. Everything falls under the the category of love. And if we look back through these these character traits that he mentioned, these fruit of the Spirit, each one, you can see the root of love there. So if being eager to maintain unity is part of walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, what is the calling? What are we called to? This is essential for the unity as well. But the calling is the effectual call of God on the sinner to repent the Holy Spirit quickening their heart to see the truth, to breathe in new spiritual life and the blood of Jesus covering their sin and the righteousness of Jesus applied to their account. Call is an act of God and the call comes with purpose. Think about Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the, one, the verses we love so much. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. That's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works so no one can boast. Verse 10 though is essential to pair with it. For you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. We have a job to do. We have works to do. Not in order to earn our salvation, but to be worthy of our calling. Confusing phrase. Worthy can be used in a lot of ways, but let's talk about this. There are six times the word worthy of. Uh, The word translated worthy of appears in the New Testament. Five of them, including this verse in Ephesians 4, uh, refer to us acting in a manner worthy of God. Let me read some of these for you. There's 3 John. uh, I think there's only one chapter in 3 John, so my reference is a little funny. But 3 John 1.6 is what it says. Uh, You will will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. That's, uh, ooh, man, my reference is all wonky. This just says Thessalonians 2. So uh, you'll find it. Uh, Thessalonians 2.12, walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. 
Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the, excuse me, in the knowledge of God. And Philippians 1.27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So because God deserves all glory for our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, he deserves all the glory for any good works coming out of us. Um, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord isn't, isn't coming from you in the way that we might think. You're not proving yourself. You're not proving yourself to have been worthy to be called. It's not a retroactive salvation by works wherein you get into the kingdom of God and this is, what, this is what the Mormon church teaches is that God, that Jesus' grace given to you, that his sacrifice on the cross enables you to then earn your salvation. It's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're talking about. While, while being unrepentant in your sin can sever it, um, we don't need to work then to like earn it retroactively. Um. Acting worthy of the calling is really acting in a way that shows the worth of the calling. You act in a way worthy of it because it is so valuable, so important. You know, I think about radio stations all the time when they do their like pledge drives, public radio stations, they do their pledge drives. And you're like, hey, if you love our programming, please give. We can't do it without you. You know, you can become a sustaining member. We'll give you a bag and CDs and a high five. We'll be our best friend and invite you to our birthday parties. Just give if you like our programming. That is it. Give if you like his programming. If you feel like the calling to which you've been called is worthy, then give. What is it worthy of? Every single heartbeat and breath that you have left, every single neuron in your body enabled, uh, enabling your muscles to work deserves to go towards the glory of God. He is worth it all. Right? Right? So when we walk worthy of that calling, we're showing the great worth of that calling. There's no limit to how much we should be willing to endure there's no limit to how, much, how hard we should be willing to, to try to obey with our whole heart. There's no limit to how much we should love and prefer others. The Word of God is really clear that our object of love is anyone and everyone, and the magnitude of our love is laying down our life for our friends, just like Christ. Loving this way requires dying to self, and each one of these four principles that promote unity in the church all require a dying to self, all of it. If you're going to love like Christ loved us and forgave us and gave himself up for us, you're going to need to be willing to give yourself up for others, even those with whom you disagree, maybe even deeply on every major issue that the world's got. That is still a person we ought to love and give and prefer and sacrifice for. Let's look at these. We have four marks of someone eager to maintain the unity of the spirit First is humility. Humility. And that's not necessarily thinking of thinking less of yourself. That's not necessarily thinking less of yourself because thinking about yourself all day long, even like, oh, you know, I'm at the salad bar. I don't even deserve the shiny cherry tomato. I only deserve the wrinkled ones. Um, you're still just all, you're just, your attention's just on yourself. 
That's so much pride that what you're feeling is so important that that's going to involve your entire brain all day. Pride. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's thinking of yourself less. And how do thoughts of ourselves get pushed out? Thoughts of the Lord enter in. As we get to know God, we're not going to be able to maintain our pride. What happens in the word of God when anyone encounters the Lord? They fall down as if dead. They say, I'm not worthy. They think they're going to die. Even when they see an angel, they think they're going to die. So they have to say, don't be afraid. It's just me. Don't be afraid. It's okay. I come in the name of the Lord. It will, humility will increase as our view of God and self becomes clearer. The relationship between the two, our position relative to his will help a lot. Second, gentleness, not weakness. Gentleness doesn't need to be sacrificed when you need to be strong. Gentleness is strength under control. It is measured. It's like spanking a child. It's a measured amount of pain in a God-designed place. It's got a purpose to it, right? And if I'm not gentle when I spank my child, I'm in sin. But I can be gentle and spank. Think about Jesus. He made a whip and he flipped tables and chased people out of the temple. And yet, he was gentle because a whip is a lot more gentle than fire from heaven. Strength under control. Strength under control. We don't kill mosquitoes with cannons. And sometimes we take cannons out when we disagree, when we have differences of opinions with other people, don't we? Put that cannon away. Patience. It's having a good attitude about waiting. Sometimes you're going to have to wait, but that doesn't mean you're being patient. Just because you have to wait, it doesn't mean you're being patient. It's like people on the freeway, they have to wait, but they're not patient about it. Goodness gracious. I don't miss Seattle traffic. And we have to wait patiently on the Lord. We're going to wait on the Lord. Whether we like it or not, we're going to wait on the Lord. But the difference is our perspective. Our perspective. You have to die to your own plan and purposes of your day, week, month, year, and life in order to wait on the Lord with patience. Just give it up. Let him take control. He's better at it than you. The Lord is the one in control, which is why we wait on him to accomplish what needs doing. Even in somebody else's life. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't convict someone else's heart. You can bring up the right verse for the moment, exactly what they need. You can lead that horse to water. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. And when we are patient and gentle and humble, we will wait on the Lord. We will die to ourself. And then finally, bearing with one another in love. Another way of putting this is tolerance. And I don't mean tolerance the way everybody says tolerance. It's like words get just, they, they change. You know, hope doesn't mean what hope means in the word of God anymore. Hope means is like, I wish, you know, oh, I hope the Mariners win or I hope it's not that hot today. I hope it doesn't rain. Or if you're me, I hope it rains. That's I wish. That's I wish. That's like as powerful as blowing on a candle. Uh, hope, biblical hope is sure. You know what's going to happen. You put your hope in it. Um, tolerance is enduring something unpleasant for the sake of another, for the good of another. Simple example. Uh, 
Raise your hand if if you squeeze the toothpaste tube from the bottom. That's me. All right. What about from the middle? Raise your hand if you're a middle squeezer. All right. I'm married to a middle squeezer. Um, raise your hand if you're an on-time person. If you're like gonna be on time or early, preferably early. Yeah. Raise your hand if you're a late person. You know what I mean. Yeah, I'm married to a late person. Um, so we we've got these things, but uh, but if I'm going to bear with my wife in love, I don't need to say anything about the toothpaste. How dumb. <laughs> like, how inconsequential. I don't need to say anything about her driving. I don't need to say anything about her lateness anymore. <laughs> I had to stop. It's just, why die on that hill? Because <laughs> um, it just doesn't matter. Uh, but this is this is what we ought to do with each other, right? Like, how does it change the flavor of the goodness of God if if you think that washing your hair with soap is just against the, the natural order of hair oil? Like, what does that matter? Like, why should I get wrapped around the axle about what you think and believe and all that stuff about these things? Like, that doesn't matter. It didn't change the taste of mustard. Like, just bear with each other. Put up with it. Put up with it. Whatever. You got things that annoy other people. It's not like you're the most pleasant person. Everybody else is just intolerable. And this is really important to remember right now. Every true believer is being progressively sanctified by the Lord like he promised he would. But we all have our own hike, right? You ever been on a trail with a group of people? You got to hike your own hike. If you're trying to keep up with somebody who's ahead of you, you're going you're gonna to die on the trail. And... Uh, and if you need to go slow, go slow. If you want to blaze ahead, blaze ahead. Don't worry. Hike your own height. But God's got us each on a different path, doesn't he? He's got us each on a different path. What I'm learning this week isn't what you're learning this week. And even if we're learning the same thing, we're learning it in different ways because we're different people. You are strong in something I fail at daily. I am strong at something maybe you fail at daily. But that doesn't mean one is worse and one is better. We are all part of the body of Christ who has qualified us, who has redeemed us, who has brought us to life, who has given us, given us his righteousness and made us part of his body. We are equals in him. We ought to bear with each other because we trust the Lord, who is not just the author, but the perfecter of our, of our faith. We got to die to self rather than get annoyed with every little thing. We ought to trust the Lord with each other more. In Romans 14, says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. And then skipping forward to verse 17, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. You could you could look at another person's life and see how they live and see their sins and where they struggle in thought and in, in word and deed. And you could say, I'm better than them because I don't struggle in those same ways. At the same time, they could look at you and say, I'm better than them because I don't struggle in your, those ways. But how does that glorify God? How does that reflect the gospel? How does that promote unity? That just divides us. That's embarrassing for a kingdom to be, to be divided amongst itself. If you were asked to ask a soldier in the Civil War fighting for the, the Union, why are you fight? They'd say to save the Union. 
to save the union, right? Shouldn't we fight for that to save the unity rather than let these differences of opinion, Romans 14 and 15 are really good for this, by the way. If you're looking into looking at this topic, how do I, how can I sing praises to God when the person next to me thinks what they think or posts what they do on Facebook? How can I do that? I don't agree with them. <laughs> Romans 14 and 15. Well, let's say just say 12 through 15. It all builds on each other. It's beautiful, but it'll teach you how to, because it talks about that for two chapters. What do you do when you disagree? But these things, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, these are fruit of the spirit and not of ourselves. And at the same time, I said, we got to hike our own hike. We also need to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. And one, like I said earlier, pays into the other. When we are faithful to the Lord, unity will flourish. All of these things take a dying to yourself. Love seeks the highest good for another, regardless of personal cost. And regardless the opinions, right or wrong, other believers may have, there is only one body of Christ. Why let something temporal, physical, doomed to fall away and not matter in eternity? Why would we let that into that beautiful one body of Christ to weaken us? There's one body of Christ which, of which we are all a part. And I'm going to say something that some people wouldn't agree with. I'm not saying here. I don't know. Uh, but we're probably going to be in heaven with people who on earth were wholehearted evolutionists. Is, that, is, is believing in literal creation essential for salvation? Makes you think, makes you wonder. It's wrong. <laughs> Six-day creation, that's, that's where it's at. But we're going to be in heaven with people that here on earth, we would have very strong, different opinions. But who is it that's able to make that person stand? It's not that person. It's the Lord God. The one who is convicting them and training them and bringing them up. The one who is sanctifying them just like you. There is one body of which we are all a part, one spirit given without measure to all who believe, one hope in the singular call to die to self and walk in the newness of life provided in Christ, one Lord, the triune God who is the ultimate authority speaking to us in his word, one faith and no other gospel, one baptism, not of works, but of joyful obedience lived publicly, and one God and Father, and Jesus himself submitted to God the Father. If you don't live according to the word of God in order to glorify God and are not growing in Christ's likeness, you will not be living in unity with Christ or his church. You will still be, you can't unearn your salvation. Don't get me wrong there. You will still be in him because that can't be removed. But you may distance from the church. You will distance from other believers if you're not living for the glory of God. You will distance yourself from our purpose and from the way we're supposed to fulfill our purpose. You'll be distancing yourself from so much. Think again about what it all comes down to, which is love and dying to self. Because if you're prideful or impatient or unwilling to bear with another or quick to fight and divide over non-essentials, then you are the cause of division. 
But if you put on humility and patience and gentleness and forbearance in order to sacrificially love God and love others, then unity will absolutely flourish in your relationships with other believers. And again, it all comes down to love, seeking the highest good for another, regardless of personal cost. This is not, I'm just going to say a quick insert here before we continue. This is not to say that there's not a standard for truth and that some things are absolutely true and false at the second, third, fourth level. Some things absolutely are true and false. And in love, if you have a chance to increase someone's knowledge of the truth, then do it. That's loving. But you know there's a difference between what we're talking about and lovingly informing someone of the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 has to be brought up if we're going to talk about love, right? If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, wouldn't you love to understand all mysteries and all, and all knowledge? Especially now, it feels like mysteries and the lack of knowledge abound. It feels like we're supposed to know everything, right? Anyway, sorry, a little aside. I'm getting frustrated with having to know everything about all this stuff. I just want to know and love Jesus, right? Uh, if I have faith, all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, even if it's your enemy that does it, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Wouldn't it be great to have a conversation filled with those things where you can disagree about the, about the, the issues of the world, the stuff that's up, but you can... But it doesn't, it doesn't cause any disunity because you know that the person you're talking to belongs to the Lord, knows and loves him, and what a relief it is. The church is a safe haven. For those of you whom I know here well enough to, uh, I know well enough to be able to say this. Uh, that sounded kind of like Bilbo's speech, but um, I am confident that if one of you guys went to somebody else in this room, in this room, this lawn, and ask for prayer, you'd get it. That is special. That is a treasure. Use it. Lean on the church. Lean on the gifts of the Spirit that other believers have. Unity means the church is truly a safe harbor, a refuge from belie- for believers. We gather so we can unburden from the cares of the world and simply worship Jesus. We can simply hear the word taught and rejoice in his salvation and help. We can come and, and confess our sin and rather than worry about our job security or, or uh, our image, our reputation, the believer on the other side of that conversation is going to know that we are a sinner beforehand, know that they're a sinner, and, and we can rejoice together that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can find help. People will pray for you rather than condemn you if you confess your sin. That's the church where you can come limping in and have people love you to find that immediate unity 
Anybody who's ever traveled and gone to another church has found this. You go in and you have unity with believers like you never thought. It opens your eyes to what the Spirit really does, the one Spirit. You go to a different state, you'll see the same thing. You're like, wow, these people believe in the same God as I do. It's like when you're a kid and you realize it's just the same moon. It's the same sun. Amazing. That sun is going to circle the, circle the earth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to brighten up crops in Africa later. That's amazing. The same, the same spirit can unite you, can build bridges over languages. I love worshiping in the Zulu churches. The way they do their singing time is incredible. I, there, was, there wasn't anybody up on stage. The congregation was clapping and someone just started a song. And everybody sang that song and they clapped and somebody else started a song and everybody sang that song. I had no clue what they were saying. I didn't speak Zulu. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's got three clicks in it. It's, it's fascinating. It's so cool. But I knew what was going on. My heart rejoiced. You can go anywhere, anywhere in the world. You'll find believers there and you'll find unity there for those who know and love Christ who love and obey Christ and are sacrificially loving and serving others. You'll find it there. Why does this matter? Not just for our good. That's the secondary reason God does anything. First and foremost is for his glory. And our good contributes to his glory. This is why you were made. It's to bring God glory. And this is why we're still on earth. The Great Commission is all about, all about bringing more glory to the Lord. The word of God is very clear that our salvation was given to us to bring him glory. For his name's sake, for the praise of his name, to show off his abundant love and mercy and grace and the righteousness of his that is so powerful that when it touches the unrighteous, the unrighteous becomes righteous. We live and breathe for his glory. And Jesus prayed for us. I love John 17 so much. It was such a beautiful thing to hear preached so recently. I love that chapter when he prays for us. He says this, John 17, 20, I do not ask for these also, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may know, uh, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, may, uh, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. It is for God's glory and our good that we die to ourselves to love God and love others with all humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance and love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Fulfilling the Great Commission requires all hands on deck. We all have a role to play. We all have a job to do. Just like my bosses used to say, if you can lean, you can clean. We got stuff to do that God prepared, God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. He's unified us and equipped us to be able to do it. And he's given us the gift of each other to help us run the race with endurance, to encourage each other to day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of us lose heart. So that together we help each other grow stronger by contributing to the needs, whether spiritual or physical, that we help 
that we remove burdens as much as we can, that we put up with the to that toothpaste stuff. We put, with, put up with the toothpaste stuff. We put up with the later on time stuff. Time is short. Why get wrapped up in that? We got a job to do. Like I said, all of that other stuff is distraction. What is temporal and physical is just is fleeting. It's a distraction. We have an eternal spiritual mission ahead of us, and that is to save the lost. We're a lighthouse, a pillar in support of the truth. All hands on deck, church. We need each other. We need each other to stay strong. We need each other to make disciples. And think about the testimony that the church can have in the world. Oh, especially now. The world is so deeply divided on every issue they talk about. So deeply divided. And yet, and yet, all of us, so diverse, all of us, in our personalities and thought, the church of God all over the world, so diverse. That's how it's supposed to be. Like Revelation 7 talks about every people from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God with one voice. Think about the testimony that that will show to the world that the gospel of Christ is so powerful, so restorative, so eternally changing that it can unite even the most disparate people. It can put us together. It can put together the Jew and the Samaritan. It can put together the slave and his own slave owner looking at you, Philemon. Boom. Put them together in Christ. It can put together those who are far off. The Greek and the barbarian puts them together. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There's no male or female. You are all one in Christ. To show that to the church is to show the true power of the ministry of peace and reconciliation that Jesus bought on the cross. What a powerful testimony. What a powerful testimony. The world can't do that. And when we do that, when we show the world what it means to be united in the spirit, maintaining the bond of peace, we really shine bright and we show something different, don't we? Isn't that worth it? Isn't it worth it to let someone believe, think something wrong if it's about something that just doesn't matter? Isn't it worth it to just let that go in order to worship God together and go stronger, go further? Isn't it just better to overlook, to overlook it for the sake of loving someone else? You don't have to be right. You got nothing to prove. And only, only everything to gain. If we truly value, see the true worth of our Savior, like the pearl of great price or the treasure in the field, we're going to obey him. And not just that, we're going to try not just to obey him, but to please him. We're going to try to please him. And it pleases him to see us dwell in unity, like Psalm 33. How great it is when brothers dwell in unity, like oil on the head dripping down to the beard, even the beard of, uh, even the beard of Aaron dripping onto the hem of the robes. It's like dew on Hermon. These are, I mean, the oil on the beard thing's weird for us, but we can understand fertile soil, right? We can understand good weather when we need to grow stuff. So let's look past all that might divide true believers. Let's look past all that might divide us 
And instead, let's look to the one marvelous Savior, even able to save those other people with whom we disagree on almost every major thing, able to save the furthest out. If Christ can save you and Christ can save me, can't he save them? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. That is why we do it. That's why we do anything. So as we die to ourselves. As we put on humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, as we put off our own wisdom and understanding in order to put on the understanding of Christ and proper obedience to the word of God. As we do these things, let us uh, draw closer to him, draw closer to each other, overlook what doesn't matter. The brass doesn't need to be polished in the Titanic. You can just let it go. It's okay. Let's unite under the banner we're supposed to unite under. There's going to be so much more peace and joy and comfort. And it's only fitting to end a talk about unity with communion. Paul wrote the letter of 1 Corinthians to a church that was divided. Divided in ways that they knew and divided in ways that they didn't know. Divided in ways they didn't know as they were approving of unrepentant sin in their body. And they hadn't yet gone to the point of separating the impurities so that they can remain strong, able to run the race. But then also they needed to learn about intentional unity, intentional unity, what it means to to serve God well and to put that on. And part of what Paul taught, um, where is it? Here it is. Um, And in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 18, He says, for in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Then when you meet at the Lord's, uh, then when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, one takes his own supper first, another is hungry, another is drunk. You see, even in communion, they weren't unified bad doctrine, corruption in the church and unrepentant sin. Um, and, uh, and these factions, divisive. That's why they were disunified. Paul says, quit it. Come to the table together. Confess your sin before the Lord, like 1 John 1, 9 says. And when we do that, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Why is it justice to forgive us of all unrighteousness? Because Jesus paid for it already. We don't need to ask forgiveness anymore. That's already covered. We remind ourselves of what's of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that by believing in him, we might have life in his name. Let's gather around that right now as we remember his death and his resurrection, the work he did on earth, this body given for us. His life was a life of suffering, of self-denial. He suffered. Even just leaving heaven and living here was suffering enough. And he went to the cross and shed his lifeblood for us. 
as the only way of satisfying the just requirements of the law and freeing us from the punishment thereof. So let's take a moment. Let me pray. Take some time with those around you or individually, but we're going to do this uh, together here um, in just a moment. Lord, Father, God, thank you so much for your gospel. Thank you for bringing us to life, freeing us from sin and death, enabling us to please you, God. Help us walk by faith and not by sight. Help us trust what you have said more than what our eyes can see or ears can hear. Help us love others the way you have loved us. And I pray, Father God, all of this stems from a desire to please you and glorify you forever. God, you are great. Your sacrifice was amazing, giving your body for us, shedding your blood for us. I pray, Father God, that we can love others in the same way as we declare your death together. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now together, let us uh, live the life that Christ did, denying self, pursuing the glory of God regardless of the suffering. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the cup representing his blood shed so that all of us could not just be united to him, but to each other as his one body. We believe the same thing, right, church? Jesus died for us so that we could have new life in him. Praise the Lord. Let's drink together. This week, look out for each other, church. Publicly, in person, or Zoom, or text, or email, or snail mail, or faxes if you do that. Look out for each other. Find ways to build each other up. We need each other. And uh, comment safely. Okay. <laughs> Let me pray. And let's go. And let's go uh, make a difference for the kingdom of the Lord this week, shall we? Lord, Father, God, we love you and we need you. Please help us shed ourselves and put on you. Help us be a benefit to each other, loving and, and serving each other, prefer preferentially trying to outdo each other and showing honor. Please bless our week, Father God, as we seek to live for your glory and not our own. We love you and we need you and we thank you for your help. And we thank you for your son that has brought us together and brought us to life. Amen. Have a great day and a great week, church.